Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we really pray that you will help us to understand your word to us, that it will help us to clarify so much confusion that there is in the world today about the gift of tongues, and that it will help us as a church to be able to understand and to move forward in terms of how to order our, our church services to be pleasing to you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, it begins innocently enough where some people in church feel that uh, they have the gift of tongues and uh, believing that they have a good gift and it feels good to them and it is good for them, they encourage other people too to speak in tongues. And over time, this small group becomes bigger until at a certain stage, uh, the, the, the rest of the church starts feeling threatened by this uh, growing group of tongue speakers. And that's where the trouble begins because then this growing uh, group of tongue speakers will become more uh, defensive in their own way. They'll feel that speaking in tongues is a matter of prestige, a barometer of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. And on the other hand, you have these non-tongue speakers who will feel very defensive. They'll feel resentment that somehow they are seen as second-class citizens and uh, the church will be more and more divided. Now, you may think that I'm speaking about a church in Singapore in uh, today's world, in modern-day Singapore. And I'm sure that many of us have known people who've uh, gone through that situation. We've actually had people sitting in our church before who have experienced that situation. But I don't think that the situation that I've described is very, very different from the situation in first century Corinth. I think that in many ways the situation that I've described is probably very accurate to the situation that we find in the church in Corinth today. There's a, there's a saying which goes, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Have you heard that before? The more things change, the more things stay the same. And I think that the gift of speaking in tongues is that one thing that it can apply to in the church today. That for the last 2,000 years, that the speaking of tongues has been a very divisive and controversial topic in the churches. And even today in Singapore, you can see that it's actually a very controversial topic which divides people, which divides churches. Now, I want to tell you that it's my belief that if people would just come and understand 1 Corinthians 14, the passage was read to us today, my main it, if, if Christians would just come and spend one hour understanding what 1 Corinthians 14 says, there will be no confusion about the speaking of tongues. And it will not be a divisive issue. And I think some commentators are right when they say that the, the division, the confusion, the resentment that the speaking of tongues has brought about in churches today is actually a sign that Christians and churches have not understood the Bible and particularly have not understood 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because if we understand it, it will not be a problem in the church today, the speaking of tongues. Now, how then does uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 address this issue about speaking in tongues? Well, it begins in verse 1 and it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, the word here, follow, is not a suggestion, alright? The word follow here is an imperative word. That means it is an instruction. Uh, it has the full weight of the apostolic authority. He's saying, there are no excuses, no alternatives, no other way. You must follow the way of love in church. And uh, as uh, the joker said to Batman, why are we so serious, right? Uh, the reason why Paul is so serious that they must follow the way of love is because as we've been reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, we see that 
this issue is such a divisive issue in the church in Corinth. As we saw in the last two chapters, the Corinthians were eager for spiritual gifts. Do you remember that? They were eager for spiritual gifts. But they were eager for spiritual gifts for the wrong reasons. They wanted spiritual gifts which were, you know, upfront, visible signs of their spirituality. Uh, they, they wanted the boast of their own spirituality. It was a mark of their, of their spiritual maturity. So just like today, uh, people are eager to wear Rolexes. Right? You know, people are eager to wear Rolex watches or maybe drive Mercedes-Benzes or uh, BMWs. Well, why are people eager to drive these things and wear these things? Because it's a mark that you've made it materially. Don't you think? Right? People think, okay, if I wear a Rolex, I'll drive a BMW or Mercedes or even better, a Rolls Royce. Well, I've made it materially. And I think that was the situation in the Corinth church. That people felt that, okay, if you could speak in tongues, you've made it spiritually. It's a mark of your spirituality. So they were eager for tongues. But here, Paul says in verse 14, sorry, chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love, but eagerly and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And as we've been reading through 12 and 13, you will know that he's remarked about this before. Because in chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, right, up here at the start, I've got lots of slides today, okay? So, uh, it's a long sermon, but you'll be able to follow what I'm saying if you have a Bible, listen and look at the slides. He says in verse 31 of chapter 12, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way And then in chapter 13, the whole of chapter 13 is about this excellent way of love. Remember last week? Wasn't that long ago? Remember the whole of chapter 13 was about love. And here in chapter 14, Paul comes back to what he said before. Follow the way of love, which he's been talking about in the whole of chapter 13, and eagerly desire the greater gifts, which is the gift of prophecy. So what happens is, the Corinthian church, they were eager for tongues. They wanted to show off their spiritual maturity, their spirituality. But Paul says if you follow the way of love, then it is not tongues which you will desire, but prophecy. Okay, so you think of it as a scale. Uh, Next slide. Okay, if you follow the way of love, prophecy is weightier and more valuable than tongues. Okay, why is that? Why do you desire prophecy over tongues in a church setting if you have love. Well, in verse 2 to verse 5, he says, you desire prophecy over tongues because of love, because prophecy edifies and strengthens and builds people. So that's what it says there in verse 2 to verse 5. And I want you to pay attention to what the words say. The words are very important. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, and no one understands him, he utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, the word edify, strengthen, 
they're actually the same word in the original language, in Greek. Uh, the NIV, the ESV, if you're reading it, or whatever version you're reading of the Bible, does you a favor, or thinks it's doing you a favor, by translating it as a different word. Right? Maybe for variety's sake. I don't know. But it's actually the same word. So the principle that Paul is getting at is that if you follow the way of love, then if you want to love your neighbor, you want to strengthen that person, or edify that person, or build that person up. Because that word that I've uh, highlighted for you in green, you all can see the green, right? Okay, if you can't see it, you need to get your eyes checked or something. Except for Simpson, okay? Okay, and the next slide, okay? The next slide. Okay, this word, edify, strengthen, build up, is the same word, it's a construction word. And what Paul is saying, in church, we must love one another, if we love one another, our focus is not ourselves, but in building up people strengthening people, edifying people. And therefore, if that is the case, prophecy is more important than tongues because prophecy builds up other people. Prophecy strengthens other people. Prophecy uh, encourages other people. And in verse 2, right, next slide. Okay, so in verse 2, you'll see that this principle is the same all the way through for tongues and prophecies. Look at, turn with me to verse 2. Look down at verse 2. If anyone who speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries of the Spirit. In uh, verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So if I speak in a tongue, who am I speaking to? I'm not speaking to you all, right? I'm speaking to God directly. If I speak in a tongue... I speak to you in mysteries. You don't understand what I'm saying. It's like code language. The only person who is built up, strengthened or edified is me, myself. But when I prophesy, it's different because you all understand what I'm saying and you all are built up together with me. So, if you prophesy, you build up the church. If you speak in the tongue, the only person who is edified is me, myself and I. So, Paul says very clearly, that the principle must be that in church, to build up people, to strengthen people, what you say must be able to be understood. There must be communication. There must be intelligibility. Because without you understanding what I'm saying, then you are not built up. I'm not loving you at all. I'm only edifying myself. And that's what verse 6 to 12 is all about. Right? So verse 6 to 12, so okay. So verse 6 to 12, uh, if you look at verse 6 to 12, the principle here is of communication, the importance of communication to build people. Now brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will be ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world Yet none of them is without meaning. 
If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. And so it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Now here, uh, look again, uh, the, sorry, the slide again. Okay, uh, the next one. Okay, so if we follow the way of love. We want to strengthen people. And to strengthen people, we need to be able to communicate. Right? We need to be able to be heard. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 6 to 12. He's saying in verse 6, What good is it if I speak to you in a tongue? Unless I bring to you some knowledge, some prophecy, some revelation, you will not understand what I'm saying. And then he compares tongues to a few things, right? So he says, A tongue is like a flute or a harp which plays the same note. Okay, now, I don't know how many of you watched the World Cup. Did you all watch the World Cup? Right, so you all listen and there's always the vuvuzela in the background, right? Boop, same note all the time, isn't it? And he's saying, the flute or a harp is like a vuvuzela if you just play the same note. It's just noise, it's just irritating. And that's the same thing with the tongue. If I speak to you in tongues, you can't tell what's happening. It's like there's just noise to you. He says, it's like um, someone blowing a battle trumpet, you know? Uh, when you watch those war movies, right? Whatever. And then people go to war. He says, if the person doesn't blow the trumpet properly, then the, the, the troops do not know when to advance on the enemy. What profit is it? It's just wasted breath. And the same thing in tongues in church. And let's say I come to you today, and instead of uh, preaching to you in English, uh, uh, Mandarin, which is not possible for me, right? Imagine I come here and I preach to you in Russian, or Swedish, or Austrian, or I don't know, Swahili. Do you profit? Does it profit you? Anything? Does there any benefit to you? No, there's no benefit because you don't understand. And he's saying the same thing that if you, if you speak in a tongue, there is no profit. There's no benefit to the hearer. There's no benefit to the church. And therefore, it is not loving. It's not loving to other people. And verse 12 is a, sort of like a summary verse of where we are at right now. So you look at verse 12. He says, So it is with you. And he sums up. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. He says, if you're going to come to church, then for the love of God, for the love of people, excel in gifts which encourage, strengthen, edify, and build up other people. Don't speak in tongues because it is selfish. So, what does that mean for the place of tongues in the life of a Christian? Now, I remember uh, this lady came up to me once before and she said that, you know, she goes to a very conservative church where they don't speak in tongues. And uh, she said, oh, you know, I speak in tongues. Uh, what, 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 what should I do? Should I give it up? Because, you know, in my church, they're very anti-tongue speaking. And some conservative churches are like that. They think of tongues the same way that people think of SARS, you know, or H1N1, or a handful of mouth disease, you know. You can somehow be infected by tongues. It's a really bad thing, right? But I think, biblically speaking, tongues is not a bad thing. Right? If you look at verse 5, look at what Paul says in verse 5. He said, I would like every one of you to speak in a tongue. Right? It's not misprinted in the Bible, but that's what it says there in verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. 
So tongues is not some disease or plague which we must run away from, but tongues must be used in the right context. So, it is alright for people to sing in tongues or to pray in tongues in private because, as it says there in this passage, in verse 2, it is me speaking to God. and It doesn't edify other people. The only time, the only time tongues can be used in a church context is where there is interpretation. Right? Only where there is interpretation. It says there in verse 5, unless he interprets, then he cannot speak in tongues in church. And therefore, if you look at this slide up here, right, look up here on this slide, see, if you, if you weigh up the relative benefits of prophecy in tongues, when there is interpretation, tongues and prophecy are the same. Because when someone interprets your tongue, other people can understand and they are edified, they are loved, the church is built up. So, some people argue, you know, there's this argument uh, about, you know, what exactly do people say when they're speaking in tongues? Is it a real language? Some people say, oh, you know, it's not a real language, I'm speaking the tongues of angels. And some people feel great pride that, you know, they're speaking the tongue of angels. But if you understand 1 Corinthians 14, who cares what language you're speaking? Because you're speaking to God. God doesn't care whether you're speaking in German or Swedish to Him or whether you're speaking in angelic tongues, because you're just talking to Him. And that is why, when you look at this passage, I think that the charismatic churches in particular, which practice uh, mass speaking of tongues in church, are going against God's will. Because very clear in this passage, in just the first 12 verses, that you cannot speak in tongues unless there's interpretation. Now, I don't know about you, I've, I've visited many churches in my lifetime and I've been to some churches where people, everybody is singing in tongues. It's like, it's like, I don't know how to describe it, it's like total noise everywhere around me. If you ever experienced it, it can be fri- quite frightening. Everybody's shouting in different languages all around you and there is no interpretation. Now, if that happens, then that's unbiblical. That is ungodly. And that is against the will of God. It's rebelling against God. Now, I've been reading this book uh, recently. It's called Not By Bread Alone. And uh, it's written by the ex-principal of my theological college. And he says that, you know, Not By Bread Alone, for you, those of you who know the Bible, it's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it's also used by Jesus when he's tempted in the desert. And, And the principle is, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And his point in, in this book is that we do not live by what we want to do, but we live based on God's will and God's word. And therefore, in this area of speaking in tongues within the church, we must also obey the will of God. Do we not agree with that? We must agree with that. We must say amen to that. And that means that if God says you cannot speak in tongues in church, it doesn't matter how much you love your tongues, you know, you must still obey what God is saying. And he says, unless there's interpretation, do not use tongues in church. And in verse 18, coming back to the passage, verse 18, Paul uses himself as an example. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words 
to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, I assume that Paul spoke, was especially gifted in tongues. And I assume that he would speak more tongues than anybody in Singapore today. I think uh, that's a very, uh, I mean, that's a very fair assumption to make. But look at Paul's attitude to his gift. He would rather speak five intelligible words and 10,000 words in the tongue. He is not giving some obscure ratio to how much tongues you can use in church compared to how much you can speak. He is saying that he will never speak tongues in church because five words right, is more value than 10,000 tongues. So five words, five words is very little. Five words is, I want to eat rice. That's it. And that is more meaning than 10,000 words of tongues. And Paul's basically saying that's the value of tongues within a church service. It's very low. It's, it's almost insignificant. So therefore, he's saying, use your tongues but in a private capacity. And in verse 20, he rebukes them. Verse 20 says, Brothers, Stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Now, this is a, a slap in the face, really. Uh, do you all uh, ever watch... Uh, oh, only, yeah, actually, probably most of you will, because uh, your parents... Uh, have you ever watched Rug, Rugrats? It's a cartoon, huh? Rugrats. Okay, maybe you haven't. But the, 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 the phrase in Rugrats where they always used to abuse one another is, Don't be a baby. Right, don't be a baby. And that's what Paul is saying here. Stop being a baby. Because the word here, children, is literally a, a, a newborn infant. Stop being a baby, right? You guys are thinking like babies. He says that, you know, you're thinking like babies because you think that tongues are so important and should be used in church. And this is not a new accusation against the Corinthian church. Because in chapter 3, he says the same thing, right? He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly mere infants. Right? In Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, because you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? So here the worldliness is, is a mark of their baby, being babies, infants. And he's saying the same thing. The use of your tongues in church, this inordinate pride that you have in tongues is a sign of your infancy. It's a sign of your babiness. It's a sign of your worldliness. And now he develops the argument by saying, what is the effect of tongues on the non-believer? So verse 1 to 17 is all about, what is the effect of tongues on believers? And he said, nothing. There's no profit because you all are not built up if I speak in tongues. But from verse 18, he says, what is the effect on, believe, on non-believers? on uh, pagans, or people that come into the service who do not yet know Jesus Christ. In verse 18, sorry, verse 22, he takes a quote from the Old Testament. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now here, a bit of Old Testament understanding is very important. If you look up here, on this slide, uh, the purple... Okay, again, you need your color differentiation, right? Okay, the purple represents the northern kingdom, uh, which is Ephraim in the Old Testament in Isaiah. And God 
had repeatedly sent prophets to the northern kingdom, warning them and rebuking them and calling, him, calling them back to him. But they refused to listen. The northern kingdom rebelled against God. So God said, I'm going to send to you, as you see here in this quote, I'm going to send to you the strange tongues or the lips of foreigners. And I will speak to these people, but they will not listen. So who were these foreigners who were coming? Uh, they were the Assyrian army. And they were going to the northern kingdom, not to visit the IR or to try the food, but they were there for judgment to destroy the northern kingdom. So what God is actually saying in Isaiah is when you hear those strange tongues, when you hear those foreign language, when you hear the language which is not your own, it is my judgment upon you. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying the same thing happens when the non-believer comes into the midst of Christians. Because when the non-Christian comes in, he is not saved when he listens or she listens to the tongues. But instead, they are judged and condemned. And that's why verse 23 says, if you look at verse 23, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in a tongue, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind, you are xiao? Okay? And that is what happens in real life. In real life, people that I know, my relatives, go to charismatic churches and everybody speaking in tongues. And what happens? They, instead of being attracted to the gospel, they, they leave the church and they come and say to me, you Christians are crazy. You Christians are really crazy. You know, there are really mad people there. They're all speaking all these things that we do not understand. And this is very important because, see, the lack of understanding, the lack of communication, the lack of intelligibility is actually a barrier, it's actually a sign of judgment for the newcomer or the non-Christian. But the difference is, in verse 24, if people speak in words that can be understood, then there is salvation, there is conversion. Verse 24, But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. And so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What happens here is that when someone comes into church and he can understand what is being preached or what is being taught or what is being prophesied, he will say, yes, there is judgment. Yes, I am sinful. Yes, I need a saviour. Yes, I need God. And therefore, people are saved. And the important phrase that, uh, that we see here comes right at the very end. In verse uh, 25, God is really among them. What happens in uh, many churches today, as it did then, is that people see the speaking of tongues as a sign of genuine spirituality. Do you not agree with me? So people will say, if, people, if you speak in tongues, you are spiritual, the Holy Spirit is there. Therefore, in our church service, if everybody is speaking in tongues, we know that God is among us because the Holy Spirit is active, actively here today. And perhaps that's what the Corinthian church was saying, we are spiritual because we are all speaking in tongues. But look at what Paul says. Paul says that God is really among you, not when you're speaking in tongues, 
But when sin and salvation and condemnation and God is proclaimed, that is where God is really among us. You know, part of the problem is people see supernatural expressions of God as, as an evidence that God is among us. So, in a church service, uh, there are some churches where you have holy laughter or fainting or slaying by the Spirit or healing and we say, oh, God is really here today. You know, God is really here because that person was healed. Hallelujah. But Paul doesn't say that at all because Paul says all these things do not communicate anything. A person is healed. A person is slain. A person falls down shaking. What is the message? What is being communicated? Is sin being communicated? Is salvation being communicated? Is judgment being communicated? Is God being communicated? Paul would say no. Paul says everything we do must be intelligible in the church. And therefore, in this respect, it is only when the clear word of God is taught and preached that people will be convicted of their sin and people will recognize that God is really among the congregation. So in verse 26 to 31, verse 36 to 26 to 31, he wraps up everything. Right? He, he forms a conclusion. He says, what, shall we, what then shall we say, brothers? So, okay, we've talked and talked and talked. What then shall we say about how we should run our church services? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Okay, and here he summarizes and said, verse 26, all these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Same word as before, the building up word. Everything we do in church must be done for the strengthening or the building up of Christians of the congregation, not for selfish reasons. And therefore, everything, if you notice here, must be done in an orderly way which communicates. Where they, they, Everything must be understood and intelligible. So if you want to speak in a tongue, you can only speak if there's interpretation. You want to prophesy? Uh, only one person can do it and only two or three people can prophesy in the whole service. You notice that everything has a place and everything has a place so that other people will be built up because they can understand what is happening. And I think it's so important to understand that in a church service, everything must be done for the communication of the gospel. You know, sometimes, have you ever been to those churches where uh, you go to a church service and uh, maybe it's a very old church service and you never understand what is happening? I, I've been like that before in some churches in Australia. The old prayer book, service. So you go to church and everybody's reading from the King James Version and you're sort of sitting there thinking Thou, Thee, what, I don't know what's happening or so. And then they say, turn to song number 1138. And then everybody's like turning and they're singing this song and they're like, uh, okay, what's happening here? And you see, it doesn't, it doesn't edify you, it doesn't build up. There's no strengthening. 
In the same way, I've also been to uh, churches where people pray all at the same time. Have you ever been to some churches like that? Everybody's praying at the same time. It might be in English, but you don't understand what's happening. It's confusion. Everything, it says there, must be done in an orderly way. You want to speak in a tongue? Must be interpretation. And one at a time. You want to speak in a, you want to give a prophecy? It must be done one at a time in an orderly way. And the important thing I'd like, I'd like to really point out here in verse 32, because it teaches us so much, is verse 32. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, verse 32 teaches us so much. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. And what that says, if the Holy Spirit is working in you, you are still in control. That is what it's saying. You, the Spirit that works in you is still subject to your control. Now, the way the world thinks about Holy Spirit today is completely opposite. The world says that the more out of control you are, the more filled with the Holy Spirit you, you are with. Do you notice that? So when you are thrown to the ground, completely out of control, wow, that means the Holy Spirit has overwhelmed your conscious thinking and you know, it has wiped out your logical mind. You're like, you're like th- you know, thrashing around on the ground like a fish or something. Right? Or if you're shouting out, you know, you know, some strange tongue, shaking and jumping around all over, somehow, you know, the Holy Spirit is really working you because you know, you've lost control. But look at what verse 32 says. That even when the Holy Spirit is working through you, it is still subject to the control of the prophets. So I think that the, the thinking that we have today is unbiblical. When people say they can't control themselves because the Holy Spirit is in them, that is unbiblical thinking. The Holy Spirit doesn't work in such a way as to overwhelm you that you have no control. Now I know that this is true because I've seen it myself and I'm sure you've heard it yourself about how if you go to some services, people are so out of control that it scares you. That it physically scares you. I've experienced it. Uh, Somebody in our Bible study was sharing the other day how they went to a church and the person in front of them was shaking so much that the person feared for that person's safety. It happens. And that comes about because people somehow feel that the more out of control I am, the more filled with the Holy Spirit I am. But that is not godly, biblical thinking. That is some, something that we've just made up ourselves. And why is that? Because God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. He is a God of order and structure. Now, that means as well, that there must be order and structure in the way that we look at our prophecy in church. Now, I haven't touched on this big topic, but it's very important I must touch on it, because if not, you'll never understand what prophecy is. But look at what it says there in verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Now, prophecy, uh, as you've done in your Bible study, next slide, uh, in the Bible can mean a teaching or preaching, but it can also mean foretelling. Like, you know, in Acts, uh, the prophets foretell what's going to happen to Paul when he goes to Jerusalem. So, the the word uh, uh, prophecy here is a very broad word. It's a very broad word which means many things. And I think that in the Bible, it is wide enough 
to encompass or to, to, to grasp uh, most speaking ministries in the Bible. It can mean foretelling, it can mean teaching, it can mean many things. But the most important thing comes in the second half of verse 29. It is that all prophecy, regardless whether it's foretelling or teaching, must be weighed carefully. And the word weighed here is the idea of discernment, distinguishing, judging, right? Distinct, uh, um, determining the truth. I think that in today's world, we misunderstand what prophecy is. We think of prophecy as we think of the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Ezekiel. So when someone says that they are a prophet, we think that they are speaking God's word and everything they say must come from God. But, if you look at this passage, that's not true. In the New Testament time, prophecy must be weighed. It cannot be accepted unquestioningly. In the New Testament... Next slide. Okay, yeah, the next slide. You will see that when God gives the early church instructions on how to govern church life and structure and how uh, the, the church is to move forward, He does not give the, the responsibility to prophets. He gives it to teachers. He gives it to people who will teach what has been entrusted to them. So in the Bible, there are three pastoral letters. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus about how to run church. And the principle here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is, what you heard from me, from the prophet Paul, uh, sorry, Apostle Paul, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and with love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. He goes on to say in chapter 2, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So what I want you to notice here is that in the church, we are not to come up with new teaching. So here I come out as a prophet, right? I give you a new understanding, God speaks new things. No. We are, to be, we are to keep, we are entrusted with the same gospel that has been given to us. And therefore, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, that we must weigh prophecy. And we must weigh prophecy based on the words of the apostles and Jesus. See the next slide. Okay, so the word of the apostles and Jesus must judge and discern and determine what the prophecy is. And this is a really important point, you know. That's why you have your Bibles open in front of you. So that what I speak from the front here in the pulpit you must distinguish and weigh if it's what God is really saying. You know, the problem with the church today is that the worship leader prays something and everybody says, Amen. The song leader sings a song, everybody says, Okay, that's a great song. But actually the Bible says very clearly that we can sing songs which are unbiblical and ungodly. In my theological college, there was a joke which says, What is heretical to say it's okay to sing. Have you heard that before? What is heretical to say is okay to sing? And I think that is really true. There are some songs out there, just because it's a very good tune and it rhymes very well, we sing it. But actually, when you think of the words, it's, it's, it's heresy. It's not been weighed through what God has said in the Bible. In the same way, in some of the churches that people go to, the pastor will go to the front and say, you know, God has spoken to me and this is what God says. 
And people say, yes, 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 that, that must be true, that must really be true. And we think that the person speaking from the front is, is, is always speaking God's word. But that's not true. So a few uh, months ago, we had a talk on the prosperity gospel at church, where we were weighing up the prosperity gospel with God's word. And I remember uh, someone in church told me that they shared what was uh, spoken about during that talk with one of their relatives. And their relative, before they even had a chance to share, said, uh, oh, I don't want to hear about this. Because, you know, this pastor, he's a good man. And uh, therefore, we, I don't want to hear anything bad about him. Well, where is the weighing? Where is the judging? Where is the distinguishing? It is unbiblical to just say, oh, this person is a good man. Well, we just listen to everything they say. Fine. And I remember another person, uh, this time my own experience, I was sharing with someone else at a camp, and I was saying, you know, this person doesn't live in a godly way, and this person doesn't preach in a godly way. And this person said to me, oh, but you know, this person is special. You know why he's special? He's specially anointed by the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, so that person is specially anointed by the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be weighed. His lifestyle, his preaching, doesn't matter. End of conversation. Because you are specially anointed by the Holy Spirit. That is unbiblical and that is ungodly. We must be more discerning than that, according to the passage. Now, we come to the last part, and uh, just as you thought all the difficult parts are over, I'm sure all the women are wondering what's happening in verse 34 to 35. It says, in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. And they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, I think that this passage is actually quite straightforward. The rule of understanding the Bible is always context, right? Context, context, context. If you look at this passage, you just, if I just gave it to you, you'd be like, what's the Bible saying? It isn't, it's not clear. But the context actually tells us that this passage is related to what is happening here. Why does Paul all of a sudden talk about women? and speaking in churches, when he's talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy. I think why he's doing it is because he is talking about women weighing up the prophecy in verse 29. That is the context. The context of God being a God of disorder, not, not being a God of disorder, but of order and of peace. Because in chapter 11, if you look up here, chapter 11, um, eh, did I print chapter 11? Uh, no, next slide. Oh, okay, I must have missed it. If you look back at chapter 11, verse 5, chapter 11, verse 5, it says, Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, that means that a woman can pray and can prophesy in church. So how can Paul now say that women must be silent? How can you be silent and still pray and prophesy at the same time? It's not possible. So I think the context tells us that it is about women remaining silent during the weighing up of the prophecy. Now, the problem we have is that, okay, in chapter 11, we, we already know the principle, right, that men are supposed to be leading in terms of the church. And uh, it's not, leadership is not about equality, right? Christ submits to the Father, but Christ is still equal to the Father and the Godhead. So, it's about structure in the church, that men are supposed to lead the women. But if you come to this passage, if you look in verse 34 and 35, it is not clear exactly who he's talking about. Is it women or wives, men or husbands? 
Because you look at here up in this slide, because in verse 35, he says, if the women or if whoever, they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. Now, to me, it's, it's, it's like what happens if you're a single woman or you're a widow? You have no one to ask. So to me, it seems as if uh, he's speaking more towards the wives who are rebelliously questioning uh, their husbands who are prophesying in church. It's like a wife saying to the, to the husband who says something, you know, what a load of rubbish. Right? What, what nonsense you're talking about in church and embarrassing him in church. Because to me, that it makes more sense because how, why would Paul then say, ask their own husbands? Because then it, it seems to leave out such a great big group of people like the single women and the widows. But then again, that's why it's very important you must weigh what I'm saying based on what the Bible is saying. But whatever it is, there's the idea of male headship and women not usurping that based on what we learn in chapter 11. So in conclusion, verse 37 to the end, if anyone who thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, I, I really wish that we could have preached or learned chapter 12 to 14 in one go, right? But then, you think this is a very long sermon already. If we did chapter 12 to 14, it would be like the whole day, right? Maybe a church camp. But you see, the Bible is actually meant to be read in one shot. And if we read chapter 12 to chapter 14, we would know that it's all about speaking in tongues, about speak, being spiritual. And what had happened was, in the beginning of chapter 12, Paul had said, Therefore I tell you, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus because, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Corinthian people were saying, the spiritual person is the one who speaks in tongues. But Paul says, no, the person who says Jesus is Lord is the spiritual person. He has the Holy Spirit. It's like a sandwich, right? There's a sandwich thing. So at the very end, Paul then says, if anybody who thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted or a spiritual person, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. So if he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Paul begins by saying, who's the spiritual person? The person who says Jesus is Lord. First slice of the sandwich. Last slice of the sandwich is, Paul says, you want to say you're a spiritual person? You acknowledge that what I'm telling you is from Jesus Christ alone. So who is the spiritual person? Not the person who speaks in tongues, but the person who acknowledges Jesus as Lord and listens to chapter 12, 13 and 14. That is the spiritual person. The person who chooses to speak in tongues in church is not the spiritual person because he's ignored the Lord's command. And that's why Paul says, if a person ignores what I'm telling you here, he himself will be ignored. Now this is a very frightening passage to me. Because who will ignore this person? It is not Paul. It is not the congregation. It is the Lord, isn't it? Because the Lord, it is the Lord's command that you are ignoring. Now that means that it is very serious what we do in church. If a person chooses to speak in tongues in church, Paul is saying, the Lord Jesus will ignore you because you are not submitting to Him as Lord. And that is such a serious thing. I've never seen it before, but people who speak in tongues in church, in charismatic churches, are actually at risk 
or being ignored by Jesus on the last day if we understand this passage properly. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, which is up here, next slide, same idea. Many of you will say to me on that day, on judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Right? I, will, I will ignore you. Away from me, you evildoers. So therefore, what we do in church, speaking in tongues in church, is not a play-play thing, it's not a personal preference thing, it is a matter of God's will. And there will be judgment for how we do things in church. So in conclusion, I think the application is for two people, isn't it? For conservative Christians who think that uh, you know, tongues is like uh, SARS or it's some very bad thing, well, the Bible tells us actually tongues is a good thing. Tongues is a good thing. It is a good thing because it builds up people. It edifies them. It does edify the individual. So, for conservative Christians, we shouldn't be scared of tongues and say, oh, you know, there's something wrong, you know, something wrong with that person, that Christian person. But for the charismatic Christian, the warning is, tongues is a private gift. Unless there's interpretation, it has no place, no place in the church. For those people who want to use tongues in church, the question is, why do you want to use tongues in church? If you already edify in private. Because the problem is, when you want to use tongues in church, is it because you want to show off to people? Is it because you want to show people that you are spiritually mature or how full of the Holy Spirit? Because that's the wrong attitude. 12, 13, 14 says, you do not use your gifts to show off, but you use your gifts to edify and to love and to build up other people. So, from what we've learned today in this passage, everything we do in church must be done for love. And to love people, we must build up other people. And to build up other people, we must communicate. And when we communicate, we must actually, we actually have God among us. So I think once we understand all these things, that tongues is not a divisive issue. Tongues should not be the problem that it is today. But we must come back to God's word and truly submit to it. And truly recognize that what we've read today and what we've learned today is not just Paul speaking, it is the Lord Jesus' command to us. And if we call Jesus our Lord, we must submit to it. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we pray that many more people will understand this passage. That many people who are Tongue speakers will come to read this passage and see what great danger that they have if they deliberately rebel against what you've told them. That what we do in church is not our business, but it's your business. To examine ourselves, to recognize that everything we do must be for love and must build up other people. And that we will not lose our gifts selfishly, but truly use it to, to love people. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.